In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There is an old episode of the radio show This American Life on NPR called Kid Logic. It is a few cute and funny stories, like many This American Life episodes. These ones mostly about how kids say the darndest things. But there is one little tale in this episode that sticks out to me, told by the father of a four-year-old girl. Her family is not a religious one, but around Christmas time, the little girl is very curious. What is everyone celebrating? So her parents tell her about Jesus for the first time. Christmas is the celebration of his birthday, and a lot of people around the world love Jesus very much. And Jesus told everyone to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. People give each other presents to celebrate this. The little girl thinks the whole thing sounds pretty fun. One day, months later, the family is driving along and they pass a church with a big lawn. On the lawn is a giant crucifix, the kind with the body of Jesus bent and visible in its suffering. Who is that? The girl asks. And her parents stumble a bit and say, that's Jesus too. You see, they hadn't told her the next part of the story. They said Jesus died because the things he was saying offended and scared the people in charge. So they killed him. Some months later, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the father takes his daughter out to lunch and she spots a picture of Dr. King on the cover of a newspaper. Who's that, she asks. And her father tells her he was a preacher. For Jesus, she asks. Yes, he says. But he was really famous for telling people they shouldn't care what people look like or treat them differently because of what their skin color was. He told people that everyone is equal. The girl says, that's like what Jesus said. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And her father says, you know what? That's right. I never thought of it that way. And so the girl asks her father, did they kill him too? Kid logic. Things seem so complicated to us adults. It seems so difficult to explain to a child what happened to Jesus, what happened to Martin Luther King Jr., to a four-year-old. But they get it, of course. The connection, the threat that truth-telling poses to scared people as they try to cling to power. This weekend, tomorrow, we celebrate and remember the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
In seminary, my professor, the writer and founder of black liberation theology, Dr. James Cone, always told us, his students, that his holy trinity of black thinkers was Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin. These were some of the most famous and influential, influential leaders of the civil rights movement in America in the 1960s who worked to wake up white America to the realities of being black, who worked to end white supremacy and to bring economic justice for everyone. Dr. Cohn always said, these three were his holy trinity because in their different styles of reaching people, Martin gave us the Jesus and Malcolm gave us the blackness and James Baldwin gave us the love. Because Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is so famous, so well-known and so celebrated, I think it can be easy to forget how much he gives us the Jesus. Not that he himself was perfect in every way, and not that he claimed to be Jesus, but rather he gives us the Jesus in his pointing to Jesus, in the way he directed the world to look to Jesus as the model for living in beloved community. In our passage from the gospel this morning, there is also someone like Martin Luther King Jr. who is pointing to Jesus. It's John the Baptist who does this. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he cries to the people. John points to Jesus. This is the Messiah you are waiting for. You can imagine him excitedly telling the people. Jesus has yet even to begin his ministry at this point in the story, and still John is excitedly pointing to what is to come, to the sacrifice that Jesus will make to show us the way. Of course, as we hear this story today, we are left with the usual question, the question I often have reading scripture, what do we do once our attention is gotten? What do we do when the kid logic breaks through even our adult heads and we see Jesus and we are faced with the realities of the world around us and our part in the system of injustice? How can we follow Jesus now? Well, it's the next part of the gospel story today where a first step might be found. As John points excitedly towards Jesus, Jesus appears in the flesh. Look, here is the Lamb of God, John says. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, Jesus said to them, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? 
This part of the gospel from early in the gospel of John is the basis for a classic Ignatian exercise of prayer. Perhaps some of you are familiar with this kind of prayer. Saint Ignatius of Loyola was a hermit and monk from Spain who lived in the 16th century and came up with many different spiritual exercises or ways of praying that contemporary Christians still use today. A famous one is the Ignatian examine, the process by which you take a daily accounting of your spiritual health. The exercise from this piece of scripture that Ignatius used works like this. Close your eyes and imagine that you are a disciple of Jesus and you are walking behind him right here in this passage. You are one of the two who has been hearing John the Baptist excitedly tell you about Jesus. Look, 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 John has been saying, and now you see Jesus on the road. You see his back, you think about what it might smell like to be on a dusty road in Palestine, just steps behind Jesus himself. Jesus stops abruptly and turns around. You see his face. Jesus asks you, just as in the scripture, what are you looking for? And you answer him. He will say something in return. Ignatius's point is that Jesus will say something to you specifically in this exercise, something not written in scripture. If Jesus asked you today, what are you looking for? What would you answer? And what would he say back? It sounds preposterous perhaps and very difficult in our time and context to imagine that we could place ourselves so firmly and concretely in Jesus' path. But depending on where you are on your spiritual journey, you may hear Jesus respond. You may hear Jesus explain in response to your desire something about what you should do. This process requires setting aside our preoccupation with ourselves. So much of our society today tells us that we are or have to be one way or the other, putting us in boxes or categories of identity, gender, race, political ideology, We have to know the truth about ourselves and what we believe, and we have to proclaim it as this or that. And once we have, we are rarely allowed to change our minds, to grow. But being in relationship with God, setting aside our concern with the self, gives us a way of understanding truth, our own truths, through a system of paradoxes, 
of impossibilities. With Jesus, we can understand wild things, failure as success, sadness as productive, or despair as a door to hope. In the scripture, the disciples want to see where Jesus lives. Come and see, said Jesus. They remained with him that day, and they continued to follow him. I bet you as churchgoers could name a lot of the miracles and signs they saw as they followed Jesus. Water changed into wine, the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, the lame walking, even the dead living again. We can list the miracles and signs, but we often forget who those things happened to. Those miracles and signs of Jesus were not just for the rich, and they were not just for those who remembered to say their prayers every week. They weren't for the perfect, successful people. They were not always for good citizens or even citizens at all. Jesus came to women and children and foreigners. He healed lepers and cast out demons. He healed grievous mental illness. He forgave prostitutes and tax collectors and soldiers and their slaves. What are you looking for? Jesus asks, being a follower of Jesus, is holding yourself accountable to two things at once. To this question for yourself, what are you looking for? And also to the question of the little girl and her kid logic. Being a follower of Jesus is desiring that she may never again have to ask you, did they kill them too? Of course, I love This American Life and NPR, and I love this story. It's one that I've come back to again and again as I ponder my own theology. But ultimately, This American Life is a secular program. And those of us who listen to it from a Christian perspective know that the father in this story did not actually get to the end of the story with his daughter. Jesus' crucifixion is not the end. Jesus' death is not the end. Of course, the end is Jesus' resurrection, ongoing today in and with us. A few years ago, another four-year-old, this time a member of the congregation where I last served, had a question for me. His father came up to me after a service with a weary look on his face. And as a mother of a three-year-old myself now, I understand with new eyes what his look meant. Clearly, his child was in the midst of a question phase. And this one was above what the father deemed his expertise. Oscar has a theological question for you, his father said. I looked into his eyes. Mother Julia, did God die? Oscar asked. 
What a question. Did God die? Different, I think, from an adult's question, one you could imagine a 20th century philosopher asking, is God dead? Rather, Oscar asked, did God die? I think it is pretty observant and theologically astute of this child. Since we recite the creeds each week in church, he was crucified, died, and buried. And in the Eucharistic prayer, we say Christ has died, or we remember his death. No wonder an observant child would ask, did God die? I think you might be surprised how many well-meaning adults might rush to answer to reassure no, when in fact, this truth is central to our faith. It's just not the end of it. The theologian Dorothy Zola has a quote, they killed God, but they couldn't screw him up in the end. To acknowledge the gruesome reality of death, even God's, makes the miracle of God's triumph over that death even sweeter. This is not over. The civil rights movement of the 1960s pointed us, like John the Baptist, in the direction of Jesus. But that work is not done. As I walked into the pulpit to preach this sermon, we sang together words originally written as a poem. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, Thou who hast brought us thus far on the way, Thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places our God where we met thee. Lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. That is the third stanza of lift every voice and sing. James Weldon Johnson, principal of the segregated Stanton School in Jacksonville, Florida, wrote these words in 1900. And I think that the heart of a black American in Jacksonville, Florida at the turn of the 20th century could hardly have gotten very drunk on the wine of the world as he had overcome centuries of oppression and degradation to stand where he stood. And still, as he wrote this, was considered unworthy to teach all children, still in danger if he left his segregated section of town. And he could see the distance humanity yet had to go and still have grace to praise God for how far his people had come. 119 years later, I will always remember singing this hymn in a full Riverside church at Dr. Cohn's funeral. The people in the congregation raised their arms as they sang in a fist of protest, recognizing both 
the shoulders they stood on and yet still, like Martin and Dr. Cohn and John the Baptist, pointing all of us to Jesus. What are you looking for? Come and see. The call of Jesus to those first disciples is the call of Jesus to you today. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Well, guess who has to do the hard work of bending? It's not that hard to understand. It's kid logic. It is us, it's you, who point each other to Jesus. Amen.